Hello, dear viewer and listener, and people not viewing or listening, and welcome to a Burkamp Wonderland. We are occasionally an Arsenal podcast, and look at these three beauties. Well, look at two beauties and listen to the other beauty. We are an Arsenal podcast tonight. Right, firstly, uh, I'd like to say hello to the wonderful Jeff Arsenal. Got a question for you, Jeff, right away. How are you coping? We've not been able to go on holiday every other week. I bet you're saving a fortune on passports, aren't you? Daniel, I've got air in my lungs, mate. So that's the main thing at this at this time. You know, uh, holidays. I've got plans, but n- yeah. nothing nothing right imminent. But um, I was lucky that we got away when we did. Thank God for that. I bet you could build a small extension with all your used passports, couldn't you? Funny you should say that, Daniel. I've got an extension going on in the in the in the garden shortly. Oh, not another kitchen. How many kitchens does one man need? No, you only need one kitchen, Dan. Thank you. Oh. <laughs> Good snooker room, then. <laughs> you can call it a playroom. I don't know. Oh, just building rooms for the sake it's, of it. What a life. Don't, don't, don't go, don't go uh, getting away with some kind of mansion here, though, mate. I promise you it's not. Uh, okay, we, we, we know. We know what's going on. Right. Next up, is it going to be Dark Josh or is it going to be Mystic Josh? Only Josh can tell us tonight which one should we expect. Who tonight will you be, Josh? Which one? Uh, I'm going to go with Fun Josh. Fun, Josh. Yeah. Well, you don't have to host, so that makes it a lot easier exactly. for you, doesn't it? It's so much easier. I can say something rude and someone else has to pick up the pieces. And we do know when things are getting a little bit dry, you will lean backwards towards the drinks trolley. And we know when you start doing that, when someone needs to pull out an interesting topic. Absolutely. Um, Lovely. Yeah, other chocolate bars are available. Oh, yes. Actually, that was I made a list because someone was talking about why American chocolate tastes of sick and smells of sick. And he sent me a YouTube and I watched it. Apparently, it is the um, the the acid in the the um, the milk because they don't use proper milk. Anyway, we're not we're not a chocolate podcast, although the amount of chocolate I consume, we could well soon be a chocolate podcast. Talking of chocolate. It's uh, nothing to do with our next <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It's uh, It's the man John Cross can only ever dream of being, and it's our very own, soon to be, the Ornstein killer. Actually, no, I don't mean you're actually going to go and kill him. <laughs> it's <laughs> with Collins. Oh. This will later be used in evidence in court. I can already sense it now. You've just given it away. If Ornstein does die in a terrible accident or disappears... Yeah, don't, Simon had nothing to do with it. That was a slip of my tongue, and I've got other yeah. albums you've taken out, so that's a wrong one, isn't it? That's what happens when I try and write funny intros. I fail miserably on three, all three accounts. <laughs> Are you all right, though? I'm good, yeah. I'm uh, I'm on a, a laptop from the Wenger era, though. I mean, this is my other laptop is uh, on its last legs, and this is running off Windows 7, so that keeps you an idea of how old it is. But I've managed to cure the technical difficulties to be here tonight and I'm very glad to be to be back on the pod anyway it's lovely to have you on it's uh that laptop is the equivalent of gaming on a Dreamcast that's how old it is <laughs> and Terrible. what a great shirt sponsor they were oh don't don't you make a grown man weep right Jeff first of all going to come to you do it in alphabetical order what was your thoughts on the Man City game we lost I think it was 3-0 and 3-1 last season so uh, it has to be some kind of improvement doesn't it Oh, definitely. I think it was a definite improvement. Um, I think 
Um, last couple of performances against, or the last one at least, against Man City, give us a little bit of hope that we were going to maybe go there and, and get something out of it. I did think we could get something out of it. We were capable of getting something out of it. But you know what? It's, I, seen it and I saw a lot of people on Twitter afterwards really, really having a go at Arteta for his tactics, etc., which I can understand. But um, I, I think the game, I, I, they would try to outcoach each other a little bit. And, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I don't think, but it, neither of the teams was at their best. But uh, it, it was still a bit of a spectacle because I get interested in games like that and they're a little bit, a little bit they're tricky. But um, the, the lineup was funny, wasn't it, with William playing as that false nine? Uh, I don't really know. I don't think that come off. But, you know, Arteta, he's, he's, he's trying things. Um, and, the most important thing that I get from the game that we are defending a lot better than we used to. And I think it is a process that you have got to trust. Um, he started at the back and he's, I think he's slowly, slowly going to move forward and try to get a bit more creativity. We do suffer. We have suffered uh, going forward in, in a lot of these games. Our chance rates, uh, uh, it's not up there with, you know, even, even some of the smaller teams, you know, Um but the game itself, I, I was disappointed to come away losing it because I think, I mean, we had a couple of chances. I, even in that, the, the game when we won up there, uh, the, 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 time, the times that we was, we was under so much pressure that we could always break away. And when we did break away, we had a couple of chances, but we took those chances. This is what happens when you play against those top, top teams. If you don't take the chances and, and they rebound on you, the ball turns over and they go up the other end. They can, they can score and they can hurt you. 1-0, um, I think it could have gone either way at 1-0. I don't know what the stats were like with regards to possession and stuff like that. I would imagine City had more of the possession. But I just think that's the way we, we were set up. And I think it, we're going to have to suffer it for another few months till he really, really does get the defence sorted out. And then I think you'll see... I remember when Pep went to Man City, a similar type of thing happened to him. They didn't start very well. Uh, you could see what he was trying to do when they was passing it out of the back and they was messing it up a lot of the time. I think we're, we're going through that process now. I think we're, we're much stronger at the back. We're much better in possession um, it's just we need to, you know, we need to just do a little bit more creatively uh, going forward so we can score some goals or at least create some more chances because I do think we've got forwards that can score, you know, can can put the goals away. But that, that may be come in time. Josh, what do you reckon? Well, I thought, you know, with uh, William playing where he did, it was... I'm not really sure what he was trying to achieve with it. Uh, perhaps it was a bit more work rate than you'd get from Lacazette. And you'd say with uh, Willian, he could kind of sit on someone like Rodri, but also push and press that back two or three that they'd set up with. But I think after about 35 minutes into the game, it just felt like we were playing well, but you could tell we weren't going to win. I don't know if anybody else got that kind of feeling that there was something missing with it. it was whether or not it's our inability to get a Bamiang into the game, especially against these big sides. Uh, we saw he didn't have a shot uh, on target against uh, City, but he also failed to do that against Liverpool as well. I think it's possible. Well, I think it was too soon for Thomas Partey to come straight into the game and the cameo he had 
I think was very, um, you know, inspiring that we can get more from him going forward. But I think that's the key thing is if we're bringing Partey in, does that release the likes of Ceballos or Saka or even just Xhaka to link up better with Aubameyang, who was completely marked out of the game, completely nullified, and we had no other approach. Do you think this is the right game to try playing a false 8-9-10, whatever the hell it was William was doing tonight, away at Man City, that I've just checked, they beat his 3-0 home and away last season. Not the game to do it, is it? If you want to do that, first game of the season against Fulham, see if it works there or, or away at West Brom. We've been doing it a little bit anyway with Lacazette in that position. You could argue he has been a false nine. He's been sitting very deep compared to, you know, Aubameyang and then Pepe who are running in front of him. Willian being there, I think he was asked to do a similar job to Lacazette, but we took the fact that he wouldn't be as prolific in front of goal for the fact that defensively his output is even better than Lacazette, who's arguably, you know, not... You know, he's got a good work rate, but he's not the best in the squad. So that's where I kind of see it there. And, you know, Arteta, I think in his, since he's joined us, it's just under 20% of all of his league games have been against Liverpool or Man City. Well, I think, no, generally, it's not league games. I think it's cup games as well. So yeah. he's obviously getting bored. You know, if one in five of your games is against Liverpool or Man City, you're going to try and just mix it up a little bit just to make something interesting he, he said that after the Carabao Cup game actually when um, when they beat Liverpool away and he was like I was in the dressing room for sort of two three minutes celebrating and someone came in and goes oh yeah we've got got Man City in the quarterfinals just like it just it's just his luck that he seems to be playing them you know every every other week and, and I get what you're saying about the Willian thing but um, I mean we, we touched on it a bit before we came on air how you know the record away at the you know the, the big six, as they're called, for Arsenal since January 2015, they've won 10 points away from home. So I, I, I think Arteta's rationale and reasoning was, you know, we've got to try something different. Um, and I think playing William there certainly did make Arsenal more solid defensively, you know, more rigid, more organised, which weirdly I didn't think would be the case. But for me, it's a pretty clear trait of an Arteta team is that they're disciplined, they're organised, and they and they work hard. But it was actually a point Wenger made in one of his 50 or 60 interviews he's done since his, his book's come out that Arteta's going to get to the point where he's made the team very defensively solid, they're really organised, but it's going to get to the point where he's going to have to sacrifice a bit of that to get the attacking intent that he wants in the team to make them more progressive going forward. I, I don't know if that has to be right away right now because I think Arteta's done the right thing where he's made the team solid, made them good at the back. But I agree, I think this City game... A, either highlighted we don't have that number 10, that creative player who, who can open up defences, or B, it highlighted how Arteta hasn't quite got the attack where it wants to be because he's focused so much on the defence and maybe we'll have to wait four or five months until we see the attack at once. But I think there were positives from it. Normally, go there and, you know, 3-4 nil and that game back in June, the first one of the restart was, was typical of that. But this time, Arsenal were in the game, I agree with Jeff. At points when it was 1-0, they could have got back into it, shout for a penalty. So it was better than it was, but it's a reminder that Arsenal still aren't the finished product yet. But looking at the, the role that William played in that game, 
If you were to play, like Josh was saying, he played the same role that Lacazette has been doing all season. We saw recently that Lacazette was the first one all the way back defending, getting the ball, bringing the ball up the field, much like Sanchez used to do at times. But if you can play William in that position and have him on the field, and you know William's not really going to score from open play, is he? Like Lacazette's got three in three from the Premier League games. If the only way William's going to score from open play is from free kicks, and then we get a free kick and David Luiz decides to try and get a, a try from it. And that kind of thing makes people angry and makes people think that Arteta doesn't know what he's doing. But what do the people in the circles, the journalist circles, think of Arteta and how he's doing and, and how we are going to be going forward? I think massively, it's all massively positive around Arteta. And I think I think it's easy to forget you know, how much he's done and how far Arsenal have come. You know, Arteta's been in this job, what, nine, ten months now? You know, he's had to cope with all the damage that was that was done in the previous regime, um, a bloated squad with a lot of dead wood, the whole football shutting down due to coronavirus. He's had coronavirus. Um, and, and I think if you look at how far they've come from, you know, December to where they are now, I think it's absolutely incredible, personally, in my opinion. And I think a lot of journalists share that view that Arteta's done a brilliant job. I, I think now we're seeing... Um, where the next next stage it needs to be. I think he's, he, he took the decision not clearly to begin his rebuild from the back and to make Arsenal a solid team, um, which I, I didn't think he would actually do when he came in. I think everyone assumed because he was a disciple of Pep, he would come in and want to play teams off the park. But he's actually gone, you know, and made the team organised and solid. And now I think it is about that next phase of, of trying to make this into an attack that can be dangerous. Because where Arsenal look good, I think, is when they play teams who come onto them, they can get a Bamiang in behind, they can hit them on the counter. They struggle against those teams who make it tight, who sit up, shot, you know, it's, it's a low block defensive break for this. They haven't found a way through that and it's why they wanted to sign a while so badly this summer. It's why some fans moan that Urza should be in the squad, which I'm sure we'll come on to. But that is the next stage for that. But I think as, as a 10 months of work of what Arteta's done, I really don't think you could have asked any more than, than what he's achieved. Yes, um, it is, it is going to take lots and lots of time. Jeff, are you there? Yes, sir. Do you remember a young man back in the olden days called Mr. Fukuhanaj, a Japanese man, I think he is? Yes, yes. He's, yes, in, yes. he's in the chat. Is he really? God bless him. He he's going to start his own YouTube channel. Isn't that good? Is that right? He is. That's going to be it's going to be full of loveliness. And I keep trying to get him on. Jeff, tell, tell FK to come and join us. What, uh, what the what, one man show? Was it going to be like the two Ronnies? <laughs> I don't know. I think it's all a bit of a top secret thing at the moment. Is so we need okay. to get him on. Maybe come on next week. We've got Raj, Reverend Raj Patel is on next week. Oh, brilliant. Oh, and you are. Aren't you? Oh, fantastic. Yeah, lovely. Yeah, I'll, I'll be Imagine if I that. imagine if the, the wonderful listeners had FK Raj and you and me on. Oh, it would be like old times. I'll have all my teeth back. About the old days, that's right. <laughs> yes, yeah, so what do you think about what Simon was saying about the building process of uh, yeah, um, Arteta so far this season and, and into the future? I think, I think he's 100% right. You know, that's what I, I was saying. I just think it's, it is a process that he's, I think the first things first is to get the defence right. We've been asking for a good defence now for 10 years or more, haven't we? 
but Monsieur Wenger, he, he, he wouldn't compromise. He just wanted to go full blast and outscore teams. And uh, in modern day football, it's been proved that we can't do that no more. Um, so I just think the the, the, the way he's gone about it, Arteta, I, I mean, you got he's got to get some brownie points for sure. And, uh, you know, it's a process. We're just going to have to go through it. You know, I, I still think we can achieve this season. Right, and I do think he'll get there over the next over the next two months. I think you'll see something different, you know. But he'll get that defence settled in, uh, and we'll go. We'll move forward from there, and hopefully he can create something from the players that we've got on board already. You know, a good coach can coach players. You know, he needs to just find. I mean, we've already seen with the defenders that we've got and what he's done to them, the likes of Mustafi and. And holding the way that they've come on a little bit, Mustafi. I mean, he, he was fine before before the, um, before he got injured. Uh, he, he transformed him. So if you could do that, if you could do that to each, a little bit to each and every one of the players, I, I do think that we've got to have some creative players in there in the squad at the moment. And you know, we we might find someone to that, so we can save a few bob at the same time. But just trust the process. I think Simon's right. Hmm. Yeah, good point about um, the defence and stuff. Josh, for so many years, you look back at ver- various segments of Arsenal history, maybe in blocks of four or five years. For ages, we had terrible goalkeepers. Now we've got a great goalkeeper. For ages, we couldn't defend. Now we've got a decent set of defenders. At other times, we had Giroud up front and we couldn't score goals. Now we've got lack of, we've got so many. And we've got the creativity in midfield. Do you think we're as close to having a really good starting eleven as we have been for, what, 10, 15 years maybe? Uh, yeah, I'd say in the last decade or so, I think this is a very, very strong starting eleven we've got. I'm not entirely sure about in general, though, for like a squad. I still think we're missing some creativity. You know, it's all well and good smashing Fulham. But we've seen in the recent games that we're struggling to break teams down. Sheffield United, again, another well-organised team with a low, a low block that we struggle to struggle to break through and I think that's that's one of the big issues that I've seen with us is we're still not completely um, back with kind of creativity so yeah uh, and I think you might want to mention Unique 79 do I? I was just telling Simon I've muted his, his um, thing because it was laptop his clunky old dreamcast but Simon unmute it whenever you need um, Thank you. Oh, that's okay. Right, I'm going to go and have a look. At, uh, oh, Unique 79 has stuffed some some money down our pants. Unique, you lovely, lovely man. He says, the question is, why does Arteta drop players after they have a good game? Is absolutely frustrating. Uh, Simon, unmute yourself and tell Unique why he does that, because I don't know. Um, I mean, I think Arteta we've seen is, is pretty open to rotating his team quite a lot isn't he I, I, I mean I have to do um, every sort of before every game as part of my job I have to do a sort of predicted 11 for the web and you know trying to trying to get that right every week is pretty difficult um, but I think it, it, now it is we're basically going to get to the point where we're pretty much going to have two 11s I think because I was looking at the schedule this week trying to plan out covering games and stuff like that and it's basically two games a week right the way up until Boxing Day now. Um, so I think it's basically going to be near enough, bar two or three players, um, it's going to be near enough two different 11s playing Thursday, Sunday, um, which is going to be needed to be done. 
and it's going to be interesting to see who who is in each 11s. I mean, everyone remember last last year, Bukayo Saka started at the Europa League level, and now he's our number seven on a on a five year contract sitting pretty. So, um, but I, I think that's going to be the norm now. I think we're basically going to have two different 11s, um, and we'll see. I mean, the one player which I think will be interesting in those two will be Lacazette, whether. Whether he's, I think he'll be one who'll float in between, but um, I think him and Eddie is, is pretty close over who's going to be the number nine. Josh, what do you think about that? Because I think um, unique throwing money at us like a couple of dirty strippers kind of uh, hindered your point. Possibly. Uh, yeah, no, that's, no, 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 no. no. <laughs> uh, in terms of, yeah, who do do I see? Yeah, to like his question, Arteta dropping players. I think it's more rotating them out, as Simon's alluded to that how many games are coming thick and fast as well. You don't necessarily want to play someone like an Aubameyang against the likes of Dundalk or maybe Rapid Vienna. We might see him play in that game. Uh, But in general, I think he wants to try and get as many minutes into players' legs as possible at this point in the season so that when they are then playing just a game every week, they've got some form and match sharpness about them. And I think that's where Saka will come into his own. A player like that, a player like Nketiah as well, when the Europa League uh, really kicks off in the next week. <laughs> um, yeah, Owen says, uh, don't do dissing Dundalk, world beaters. Owen from the Guna Crack, which is C-R-A-I-C, which is an Irish word meaning having a good time, from the Guna Crack podcast. He, I'm going to be on his show this Thursday, but uh, he is going to be on, I think, both of the Arsenal v Dundalk games because he's a. Uh, he was saying on one of the podcasts that I've seen him on because he's a bit of a dirty, uh, but dirty time when it comes to podcasts. He'll go on any of them that he uh, that he is five minutes from there, and so many people in his area are really annoyed at the fact that they've got to see can see the Arsenal coming to their local team. And no one can go and see them. We've not had any people in Austria complain, apart from my mate Carl, who is actually a gooner and lives in in Austria. So uh, there you go. Oh, here we go. Unique said, uh, "Danny, get the fireplace started. We miss it. <laughs> it is. It's it's going in the background. It's covered in. Um, I don't even know what they are. I think they could be Father's Day cards. I can't reach stuff when it's up high, so people put it there to annoy me, and uh, they they do because they're scumbags." <laughs> I think we've got about five thousand fans there tomorrow. I think for the for the Vienna game. I think under uh, Austrian rules, so that'll be quite good. But is it, when that draw came out, I don't know about what you guys thought, but I was absolutely, I was thinking just in non-COVID times how good a draw that would have been for you know away trips. You got Vienna, which is a great city, then a trip to Mulder and Scandinavia, which you'd never do, and then you know all the Irish fans in Ireland going there. And you know, so you know, being with them before the game, after the game, all the pubs overflowing. I just thought, oh, if, I know it, it's 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 shit times anyway. But when you have a draw like that, and you think of all those trips that the fans would have gone on, it makes it even worse. I think. Yeah, I think the fact they're playing it at the Aviva Stadium as well. Yeah, you'd have got loads, so many fans there. Yeah, it's true. That Dundalk game, that but that would be that would be off the wall, wouldn't it? Brilliant. Yeah, it is a shame. Jeff, you, you, you're no stranger to the odd away game in, in a foreign country. Which one of those would you be looking forward to have gone to? Would you have gone to any if you could have? Vienna. I have you found well, as an Austria man myself. Vienna, that would have been a, yeah. a good one, you know. Um, we go skiing in Austria, uh, but I've not been to Vienna. Um, and Dundalk, mate, that, that would have been unmissable, especially being at the Aviva. I think we'd have all got tickets for it, you know. Uh, it would have been a good jolly up for the boys. 
so it's a shame, isn't it? It's a shame that uh, when is the Dundalk game? What date? Uh, is it? December. It's, it's, it's the last yeah. game in December. I think it's about the twelfth of December. So there's an outside chance you could yeah. get some fans there. You don't know, but. Um, big stadium, so you know if you get thirty percent in or something like that, it would be you know be it would be good. Yeah, but that'd be a great trip. Would be brilliant, wouldn't it? Hmm. Jeff, while while we've got you, Thomas Party, how um, surprised were you that we got him right? We're not having any party puns, not having any of that shenanigans. Well, how surprised were you when we got him? Because that is a such a last minute deal, and for the fact that we had to go with uh, with uh, much like you, Jeff, when we go when you go on holiday, you've got fifty million pounds in cash in a suitcase. <laughs> <laughs> Arsenal went to the Spanish FA, fifty and, million uh, lira, Daniel. Fifty million lira. <laughs> Sorry, Jeff. Yeah, see, see yeah. that's more proof that I was right, isn't it? That you corrected me. Yeah. That they went over there, slopped, um, slapped a suitcase full of uh, a filthy lucre on the table, and said, "Right, where is he? We're taking yeah. him." How, how surprised were you that no, you we actually what? went and did that? I, I think they was going to get it over the line. I think they was just trying to push it. As I think I said on the podcast a few weeks before, they was they was just trying to get him for a cheaper price. That's all. And uh, in the end, they had to really heave it up. And um, I mean, wasn't it great though the way they did it? You know. Uh, just just dropping the money on 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 La Liga rather than uh, notifying Asleti about it. Uh, there's obviously there's no love lost there between the two clubs, but uh, it's a type of thing that Asleti do all the time. And to be honest with you, it, it, it makes a change Arsenal being like that. Uh, and if there's a change in attitude, that they are going to be a little bit. You know, tough like that. I'd, I'd, I'd welcome it because we've been, we have been a little bit soft underbellied over the course of the years, and we the last twenty years or so. So, uh, but you know, I, I've not seen a lot of him to be honest with you. But he did look, he did, he looked fine when he came on against City. Kept the ball well. He looks tidy. Looks very. Um, he gets about the pitch, doesn't he? Be, be good to see. You know um, how he gets on over the next few weeks. I think he'll settle in though. Good-looking chap as well. We we are as a club that are known for having uh, good-looking men at the club, and he has got a look about him, uh, almost a kind of uh, a gladiator that you're not going to go in there and annoy him because he's going to give you a look and then he's going to give you a slap. And uh, we saw Dimi Josh at the end of the game that he, he got a booking. I, I turned the game off by then, so I don't know what point during the game he got the booking. Did you do you remember? Uh, it was for I think just a general foul. Uh, I can't remember it off the top of my head. It wasn't. Yeah, it, it was. Really it was just a general. Was, uh, yeah, nothing. Nothing, nothing to it. You know, the general ones that Arsenal players get yellow cards for, and other players just get a talking to. One of those. Um, so yeah, I'm sure that will definitely follow him around for the rest of his Arsenal career. That he's a bit of a dirty boy. But <laughs> well, the like, thing is, uh, right? He, he, the thing is, he look. He looks mean, doesn't he? So oh, I would imagine it's a referee right, going to be watching him anyway. You know. He seems like the strong, silent type. That you just kind of stay clear of him, and yeah, he'll he'll get the job done for us as well. For his little cameo, he looked really promising. And is he, you know, fifty million euros worth of a player? Probably, if he solves all our problems, definitely. 
Simon, where do you think he's going to fit in? Do you think he's going to be um, a kind of thing like when El Nenny plays in that kind of role, he is there covering the back four, which is what people have been calling out for for years? Or do you think there is more to his game that we are going to see him not just protecting the back four or five or three, but getting the ball, coming out of the ball, maybe having runs down the field with it? Or will he have a, a, a job title of defend the back four, give the ball to somebody else? Yeah, I, mean, I think there's a lot more to his game than people perhaps give him credit for or perhaps realise. I mean, when he, when he plays for Garner, he plays as a sort of number 10 almost. He's got you know, a great goal record, hasn't he, for them? Yeah, I think his goal record, I think it's something, might have sort of 10, 15 goals for Garner, mm. I need to check that, but it, it's, it's, it's nothing to be shirked at. Um, and in terms of, I think for Atletico, he sort of chipped in, you know, sometimes chips in with six, seven goals a season, has assists, um, and he's a lot more than um, than a person who can sit in front of the back four. He can 100% do that role, and I think certainly, particularly in big games, I think you will have him in that role in sort of screening the defence um, and providing some much-needed protection there. But going forward, I mean, as I said, he, you know, he's a 10 for Ghana. When he was on loan, I think it was Al Maria who played as sort of a winger, um, and it's only over time he sort of found this role. But a, bi- a big thing I think that Arsenal liked about him was his ability to win the ball and then be able to sort of drive up the pitch with it, you know, actually dribble with the ball. I think the team's lost that quite a bit in the past few seasons. They've lost, you know, different roles, obviously, but players like Alexis, um, Nasri to a degree sort of did it, even someone like Awobi, players who would take the ball on and take players on. And they haven't really had that as much as, you know, Jack is a good midfielder, Sabahis is a good midfielder, and Nene's a good midfielder. They're not really going to get the ball and skip class two, three players simply because they don't, they're not physically strong or quick enough to do that. Party offers that. And I think what Arteta's hoping for now is he's got a player who can help those transitions of getting the ball either by passing or particularly dribbling, dribbling it and driving from defence to attack. So that, that, I think, will be his key role. I think the big games, you'll see him as that sort of six, but he can play in a midfield three, can play in a two. Um, but he will have that licence to get forward. And if you look at his stats for dribbles, assists, goals, he's way ahead of any midfielder we have. So um, I think that would be something that fans might be surprised by, just how good he is on the ball and how good he is going forward. Because I think even Atletico underestimated how, how, how good he could be at that. I agree with all of that a lot. Uh, that's my brother, Michael. Mr. Fish, that means my mum is probably watching. Moog, you know that 1.4 kilos of jelly beans you got me that someone left on top of the fridge? I tried to get it down last night. I've got 1.5 kilos of jelly beans all over my kitchen floor. I spent two hours picking them up, and I still ate some. So uh, that was how I spent last night, people. Uh, Josh, where do you want to see... um... Actually, Jeff put a question, uh, a point in our our private chat. He said... uh, more like who is he going to replace? So who do you think he is going to be replaced? Or do you think the whole formation, maybe not right away, but in the in the upcoming months, the formation, do you see it changing? Or do you think that Arteta will still be going three at the back? Or will he be going to four like we've all presumed for ages? And then if he does, who is dropping out? Because it's got to be El Nenny, hasn't it? I am assuming it's part of a, yeah, moving to a 4-3-3. And the player that, I think the player he's replaced in the squad is he's an upgrade for Guendouzi. As Sanchez has gone through, the player that we were missing is a player that can drive and carry the ball through midfield. Well, Gwen Doozy could do that. He was inconsistent as hell and a bit of a twat, but <laughs> and in that's terms been of playing ability, that, that's how he played. He was carrying the ball through midfield for us. So I think Partey's coming in to replace him 
in that regard. And it's going to be one of the centre-backs that will be dropping out, I think, from there. But from what we've kind of seen, in, yeah, hopefully it unlocks Tierney and we can start seeing him bombing up the left flank again and have Partey and Xhaka either side offering support to drop back into that kind of defensive block that we've created. Because I think we're still going to, when we attack, I think we're still going to have three defenders in some way or another. So if that's Bellerin and Tierney going upfield, then we have still seen that, you know, and then he was dropping into the right side of uh, defence and Xhaka dropping into the left side of defence. I think we'll still see something like that happen. And then just a case of Gabriel and probably still David Luiz at the moment, whilst we haven't got any other fit centre-backs. I think Callum Chambers is the one I've kind of eyeing up to replace uh, David Luiz in the near future and be the player to take over from him. But, as you know, he's still still working his way back. Hmm. Jeff, um, we're getting to the point now where we're just going to talk about any of the subjects that we want, but you lot keep bringing up interesting subjects. As a rule, with a football team, when you've got your 11 best players, you always want to replace the weakest player. Now, over the last couple of uh, transfer windows, we've done that really successfully with Party, with Tierney, with um, with Aubameyang. Uh, I think was the start of it, of really upgrading the players that we have. Who would you say in the squad at the moment is the next one we need to look at to be upgrading? Personally, I think it's got to be Bellerin, hasn't it? He either has an okay game where he messes up a few times or he has a game where he's just completely average the whole time. To be honest with you, I was, I've was i been quite impressed with, with Hector Bellerin this season. I think he, he's come on. Um, he, he seems a lot fitter than what he was. He's, I think he's, he's, he's got a little bit of pace back. He's got a lot more confidence. I think confidence was a lot with him. Uh, and I've been impressed with him, so I, I would stick with him. Whereas at the start of the season, I, I would have thought uh, Cedric was my number one right back, you know. But I'm, I'm going to go against that now. I, I fancy you got you got to let him roll on with it because I do think uh, you know he's come back into form. Uh, I, I still he's still got he's still got to work on his his defending. But again. If Mikel could could do something, you mean just you know sprinkle a little bit of dust on him so he can defend better. Uh, he does get caught if the ball's over on the other side. You know people do creep up behind him and, and stuff like that uh, as the ball's coming in. You've got to be more aware of his positioning and stuff like that and the distances. Uh, he's got to get them right. I mean going forward, he's looking better. He does charge forward. He looks a lot better. Uh, he's got to create himself a trick. Once he gets over the halfway line or edging towards the box, because, you know, last season and the season before that, you know, he'd get down there and he, he, he wouldn't pass the first man, you know. Uh, but as a regard to a replacement, I, I, I think I think the next one out, it, for me personally, would would be Granite Jacker. I think we just need someone a little bit better than Granite Jacker in that position. If we're going to be, um, you know, if we've got any ambitions of, of, of winning Champions Leagues or, or getting into the semis and, and the finals and, you know, challenging for the Premier League, I don't think Granite Jacker is a player that would be any in any of the other teams around us that, that, that are fighting for that. We need someone better. He, he doesn't, he's a bit slow across the pitch. All right, he's, he, of course, he, he He's got some good passing, um, long-range passing, but you know he's not—he doesn't—he's not fluent, and I don't think he's—he's a, he's a fluent type of player that Mikel Arteta or the likes of Pep would want in their team. 
Um, so I, I think he, he is maybe one that we're going to be looking to replace sooner or later. I think if we had the chance, he'd have replaced him already. Yeah. Um, Simon, as a general rule, people who are one of our own, be it Wilshire, Ramsey, Bellerin, they tend to get more leeway, don't they? I mean, the amount of stuff that uh, that regards, it's, it's Ramsey. Just give him another chance. Bellerin, from certain parts of the Arsenal fan base, usually the ones that have to be tucked up in bed by Nursey about 7pm with, with their prescription, that they don't like him, but he is. He, he's in the same category for me as Wilshire and Ramsey, as in one of our own. And, and I like to see him do well. But like Josh has just put in in the chat, at 25 we lose a yard. And whereas he used to be able, to, he used to look really good because he had that pace. And if he got in trouble, he could use his pace with the ball to get out of it. Now he's having to rely on his defending skills, hasn't he? And I, I'm not sure that's going to last. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, it's a really difficult one because, I mean, I'm like the rest of you guys and I remember when Bellerin came on the scene and he was so quick, wasn't he? He was absolutely lightning pace. And I think we've got to remember, you know, the severity of the injuries he's had. You know, that serious knee injury, then a lot of knock-ons from that was a lot of muscular problems that, that can happen when you have a knee injury like that, that became problems. And I think he admitted it recently in an interview that he's, he's only now just about back to full fitness. And that was because he had the lockdown period where he could get fully fit and, you know, have a proper rehab months off playing football. Um, and I actually think he's been pretty good this season. Uh, I like you was when in the summer it was, you know, I think it was talked about whether Maitland-Niles was going to go or someone else. And it was Lacazette was talked about. And it was basically, you know, they need to sell one player to generate some funds. He was the one better, and I thought, yeah, I would, I would sell him and, and cash in if you could. But I think now he's actually been, been pretty solid. Uh, yes, I don't think he's been. No, I'm not saying he's been amazing, but I think he's been pretty good there. I think he's been good enough to be certainly the first choice right wing back. I think he's starting to get a bit of pace back. Um, so for me, there's been enough positive signs there to certainly give him the rest of the season and see where he's at. And, and it, it falls slightly into the same categories as Xhaka, where, I mean, I think Xhaka's a very good player and I really like him, but I can understand what Jeff says, where you want to upgrade him and you probably want to upgrade Bellerin. But off the pitch, those are two players who are so vital to that dressing room in the roles that they play. They are really true leaders in a squad that is severely lacking them. I mean, Bellerin was the one at the forefront of a lot of those negotiations over the pay cut. Certainly, he was Arsenal's PFA rep, so speaking directly to them when that was all going on and Arsenal players were decided to do so. I think he's got a big role to play in that and that's why Arteta was quite keen to keep him around the squad. Um, and if just to finish off on, on what you were saying to Jeff, is it, in which player would you upgrade? For me, I would upgrade Lacazette would be the one that I'd want to upgrade personally. I think he's going to have a year left to come the end of the season. I don't think you really want to extend that contract. I think you need a different number nine there. Um, and for me... If I was looking internally, I would hope that Martinelli could maybe be that number nine because I think it's a pretty difficult role that you've got to do under Arteta. I think you've got to be very mobile. I think you've got to be tactically astute. Um, but you need to have that ability of finishing in the box. And I think Martinelli's pretty close to that. So I'd be quite interested to see when he comes back if we could have a little look at him before the summer and decide, right, we want to upgrade on Lacazette. Do we sell Lacazette and get someone who's going to, you know, be compete with Martinelli or do we sell Lacazette and go all out and, you know, try and spend 60, 70 million pounds on, on a proper number nine? I think that's going to be, for me, where you upgrade in this team. 
think that'd be a good idea because not only are we going to save ourselves £60 million on the striker, but we've seen in years gone by, we've had certain players where they could play left wing, they could attack down the left wing, the right wing, they could be a striker, they could play in the 10. And it looks like Martinelli is the kind of player that can do all of that, much like Henri did. You don't know where on the pitch you're going to go. And if you had a couple of players like that, you'd need six defenders to defend against it. And Martinelli is, I mean, he's not back. I checked today. He's not back until the end of the year at best. So we're after that a terrible knee injury. But when he does come back, because I remember when he was playing, we were thinking, well, what, what's his best position? I think his best position is any of the four up front. I think I think the forwards that we've got, though, are capable of scoring goals. I think they've shown that in the, in, in the past, you know. We do need some creativity. as we. I mean, everyone knows it. So I would, I would, I would put all the chips on maybe trying to find a, a creative midfield player if we had the money to spend, rather than uh, the, the strikers. I'm not. I'm not sure Eddie's going to get you 30 goals a season at Arsenal. I've got to be honest with you. I like him. He's industrious. He gets about the pitch. He's a bit of a nuisance, and he'll. You know, he's okay around a six-yard box, but um, I, I'm not sure he's going to be. I'm not sure he's going to be, you know, an Arsenal first-team player. Again, like I was saying, that's going to be fighting for honours. Uh, but, you know, you might as well let Lacazette see out his contract because I still think he's he's, got, he's still got a game in him. He looks looks a little bit fitter this year as well. He's got three and three, didn't he, for the start yeah. of the season? Yeah, yeah. And I, I do like him. He's quality. he's quality on the ball. He's definitely quality on the ball. Um but again, I, I would try and I'd pump the money into into trying to find a creative midfield player because, you know what? Even if you got a, you got a decent creative midfield player, Danny, you'd get a game yourself, mate. You'd score goals for Arsenal. You're not you're not wrong, Jeff. I would I'd get my weight behind the ball and I would be done. I mean, I've got my my knees are brand new, very low mileage. Never hardly <laughs> ever been used. My feet made, they're also made shiny. Of, made out of metal, yeah. Oh, you, hopefully a robot. That's the that's the future <laughs> I hope for, Josh. And um, before we just start talking about anything, someone put in there. Um, it may have been Owen that the problem for Bellerin is getting bugger all help on the right hand side. I mean, you look at the way um, uh, Tyranny and Saka work together. One go and they fall back and they and they cover each other. Well, like Alan Davis was saying, or his pod was saying today, that it, it reminds him a little bit of the Ashley Cole Perez stuff. Bellerin doesn't have that because Pepe doesn't even support himself, let alone helping to support any other players, does he? Pepe's lost. So well, I, I think looking at the winger and blaming the winger for why Bellerin doesn't get cover isn't how <laughs> it's part of it, though, isn't it? It is, but it's not. Well, Bellerin loves to make a run forward, doesn't he? Yeah. And if, and if he's making a run forward, can, that's where we tend to see El Nenny drop in to the right, the cover on that side. I think that's what we'll see with um, Partey as well. It's he'll drop into that kind of nominal right back position. I think the other thing on Bellerin's pace again is just something that I'm not sure we don't break at speed. I don't think we have for years. We don't play on the counter. We've got one of the best wingers for playing on the counter in Nicolas Pepe. That's how he made his name at Lille, was playing on the counter. But we don't do that. So Bellerin not having pace or not being as quick as he used to be, I don't think is hurting us as much as people may think. And he's still showing that he's got dynamic turns of pace. So remember the goal we scored against Chelsea in the FA Cup final and he's still doing that same kind of move where he's breaking from deep with the ball, dragging it through the midfield and then laying it off. We're still seeing that. And that is pace being shown by Bellerin. Like he's not, you know, Usain Bolt down the wing anymore, but 
he's not being asked to do that job anymore. He's been asked to carry the ball through midfield because he's got the skills that we don't necessarily have elsewhere in the squad. If we then see him, we start saying, yep, yeah, go on the outside of Pepe, fly down there. We'll see that he's got that kind of turn of pace again and we can truly judge him on it. But in terms of just general creativity, I think I've got quite a lot in Thomas Partey and what Arteta is able to do with him because I think he's doesn't just he's not just like a single piece of the puzzle. He unlocks a lot of other options for us. And that's what I hope to see in the long term. Because the problem is, as we were kind of saying, we're going through a lot of fluxes. We've got a great forward line, but we just can't seem to supply them that well. It's like the flip side. I was watching Brighton versus Palace uh, at the weekend and Brighton had 20 chances or 20 attempts on goal. Only three were on target. Now, if you gave, you know, flip that round to Arsenal, we're only really making three chances and three three on target. We're very, very like low in the number of chances we're making versus conversion. And just looking back at that Brighton team, it reminded me of that kind of days where we had Olivier Giroud on the pitch or even back in Nicholas Bentner days where we had, you know, the Santis, the Rositskis, the Klebs, the Ozils, supplying these forward players who were just so impotent in front of goal that we've now got the opposite problem. We're just not creative enough. And as soon as we... Is Meza Ozil the answer, which I think is something we'll come on to. I think the answer is still no for that. And it looks like Mikel Arteta potentially agrees with me as well. The fact that he's missed out on both uh, squads for the Europa League and now the Premier League. But Danny, uh, yeah, I'll send it back to you for where else we want to go. I'm washing my hands of pointing you sheep in the right direction. We're going to talk about whatever we want now. Jeff, you put something in our chat, something you want to talk about. Well, Pepe, how do we see this Nicola Pepe? Because, I mean, it's, I think it's a bit unfair, but he seems to be dragging that big price tag around with him. But if you put that to the side, he's so inconsistent, the lad, isn't he? You know, I mean, you see little glimpses. All right, his dead ball situations, he's, 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 quite, he's quite good at, but... His general play, he's doing a lot more defending when he first... Again, maybe he's another one that's learning on the job for the Premier League. Um, but he just disappoints me. I don't know about you, boys. He just disappoints me. And again, it's another area of the pitch that I think is so vital, so important, especially, um, you know, when, when, you, when you're trying to create uh, situations up top again his positioning when the ball's over the other side of the pitch he's, he's meandering out still out wide rather than coming inside and trying to pick up something on the back post you know when the ball's played in um, he, he still he still looks like a, a quite a novice with regard to that type of thing I mean I don't know I don't know I'm, how long are we going to, you know, put up with, you know, the inconsistency? Because I think we do need something a little bit more, you know, more thorough in that area. Simon, what do you reckon? Give me your opinion. Yeah, I mean, he's he is consistently inconsistent, I think is probably the way to put it. You know, he's so frustrating, I find, watching him because I remember watching the FA Cup final and I think I even put out a tweet being like, you know, this is a £72 million, pound, this is after half an hour, this is a £72 million pound player. You've got to be expecting more from him. And then suddenly Pepe 
he had the goal disallowed, but he came to life. I thought he was fantastic in that final. He was beating players, taking players on. And, and Arteta has regularly stressed the point, pretty much since he's been in charge, that for Pepe, it's all about consistently delivering at the level that's expected of him. Because there are moments where you watch him and he's brilliant, you know, beats two, three players, um, you know, scores a fantastic goal. Um, I think we saw this season, was it the West Ham game that he scored in? Um, uh, or was it the Sheffield United game where he scored it? You know, came off the bench and he was just electric and he was so clinical cutting in from the right, curls at bottom corner and you're like, wow. this. And, and the number of times, perhaps it's us in the media being too quick to do it, but we've written the, you know, this is the Nicola Pepe, the night he came alive, this is the game where he turned the corner and then it hasn't quite happened. It's just not quite clicked. Um, I don't know. I, I think there is a player in there and I think if anyone's going to get it out, it's Arteta. I mean, we saw him work with Sane, we saw him work with Sterling. You know, he, he knows how to develop these wingers specifically into goal-scoring forwards. And, and he's clearly no, you know, he's no mug. I mean, in France, the season we, we bought him that summer, he was the second top scorer in France and he was only beaten by Mbappe. You know, over 20 league goals. So there's, there's a player in there. I just think it's that, that consistency. And for me, he's a lot more raw than I thought he was. Um, he's not a seventy-two million pound player, 100%. Um, I think if we bought him for 30 million none of us would probably be having any sort of debates or questions about it. Probably going, yeah, he's pretty good. He does his job. But but when he costs him two million, as, as Jeff said, that is a price tag around his neck. And and I don't know, you might be able to, you'll have probably more insight than, than me, Josh, but are we seeing the player that we saw in France at the moment? Or are we not seeing that player because he hasn't settled? Or I don't know, for me, he's very raw and inconsistent. And I didn't think Arsenal were buying that when they brought him in. I think we're not playing him as his greatest strength. I think that's the big thing. I think, ironically, the manager that he would work best under is Emery because he was wanting us to play kind of on a um, on a counter-attack. So sit deep, break quickly at pace. Pepe, Aubameyang, one other, probably Saka, all flying forward and quickly hitting a team on the break. And that's what you got from Nicolas Pepe at Lille. Lille were very much a kind of very quick, explosive team. We don't do that. We sit. And again, if we do try and do that, we're also playing against, you know, it's only three or four teams that will play in the league, that will play with a high back line and then won't change it afterwards as well. I think uh, it's going to be like Man City, Liverpool. Uh, Brighton might change it. Uh, Southampton, Hassan Hutel seems pretty set that irrespective of how the game's going, he's going to stick with a high line. So I think that's one of the bigger problems that we're not giving, you know, when Pepe's getting the ball, we're asking to beat one or two players, which he was normally doing in Lille by using his pace. But because he's not got that space, because he's getting the ball, what, 25, 30 yards outside of goal, he's got to use the kind of skill and passing to get past a player and I don't think he's really got that consistency in his in his locker to really unlock a defence. So I think that's where the biggest problem is. I say the other thing about the number of goals he scored, if I'm right in saying nine out of those twenty were penalties. He was their penalty taker for Lille. And that's one of the other things that you know he was still very creative. But it was in a team that is, you know, breaking fast, and the way you're 
you know, your kind of assist is probably just playing, you know, one defender out of the game by just playing a square ball across the to the back post for a striker to come onto. That's where I'd kind of see him. And again, set piece deliveries. Those are the other things that kind of, I'm not going to say pad stats because it's unfair to say that, you know, taking a corner and being good at taking corners isn't a useful attribute to have in a player. But if you're taking all the corners, you know, you always look in fantasy football, don't you? Just bring it onto that. You check to see who the corner takers are for each team because you know there's a chance they're going to get an assist if they've got decent centre-backs or decent any decent player in the air. That's the other thing of Pepe's game that I think we didn't necessarily look at. And when you've got, you know, the YouTube generation, we're going to look at a player. Every single goal that you'd see from Pepe is him, you know, going at 100 miles an hour down the wing with a ball from either over the top or slid between the centre-back and the full-back and he's coming onto it. There's all the space in the world to think about what he's going to do and then make his decision. He doesn't get that. I'm not going to say in the Premier League because there are very good counter-attacking sides out there. But he doesn't get that choice in the Arteta system because our build-up is very slow, very methodical. Pepe just doesn't, he's got to think a bit more. Um, a bit like Theo Walcott, I suppose, in that regard. That, you know, what, he gave what, him too what, much. What, what frustrates me with him, because um, he's, got, he's got bags of pace, um, he's, got, he's, got, he's got plenty of coffeehouse tricks, I call them, right? But he'll breeze past two or three players that, that are over on that side. But instead of being a little bit more direct when he gets past them, He'll turn back and he'll want to beat him again. You know, it's like five-a-side football. He's got to learn, right? You know, I would like him to get, get him into a situation where he's isolated one against one, right? Because if, you could, if he could get the confidence, right, to get his head down, go one against one, he's got great tricks. You don't know what side he's going to go as a, as a defender, right? So he can go both sides of you. If you can isolate him, get him one against one, get to the byline or maybe cut inside himself, but he doesn't. He'll turn and he'll try and beat everybody again. And it's so frustrating. If you could just correct that, then it could create and, you know, there's an end product to it. Because at the moment, you know, it's just it's happening every now and again. That's all I think about it. Yeah, I agree, Jeff. It's that problem that he's so inconsistent when he beats a man as well. None of our other forward players almost want to run with him. Because well, they, you know, they don't, they, yeah, they, yeah, they don't know what he's going to do with the ball. He, he don't know himself, do. does he? Yeah. yeah, exactly. So they're going to, you know, even a Bamiang. I think if he knew that Pepe was going to beat his man, and then there'd be a through ball option for him, a Bamiang would be making that run. You know, he's been around the block enough as a striker to know when an opportunity is going to open. But no one seems to be doing that when Pepe's got the ball. And is it because they just don't know what he's going to do? He's just got that inconsistency that yeah, he might be an absolute world beater or you know that 20 yard long busting run that you've just made you've got to turn around and run 40 because he's turned it over and you've got to now go and track the fullback that's bombing upfield I think actually him, him, him training and playing with William will actually be a very good thing for Pepe and for a lot of wingers in that squad because I, I think William's been okay I think he was very good against Fulham he's, since then he's plateaued a bit but what Willian consistently offers is consistency and reliability with the ball. You basically know if you give it to Willian, 
you're probably going to get it back. He's not going to waste it. He's not going to give the ball away. He's very efficient. He's tactically very efficient. He does exactly what Arteta wants and really fits the role and system. And I think certainly for for Pepe, but even the likes of Reese Nelson, Martinelli when he comes back, I think they will really benefit from seeing what Willian does at his age. And 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 you know, Pepe is Jeff is exactly right there. He does that thing where he beats a man and then he beats him again, partly because he's probably loving the game and enjoying beating his man, but if he's more efficient and beats him and delivers the ball. He's going to be so much more productive. And I, and I remember Ferguson had the same thing when Cristiano Ronaldo came to Man United. He used to infuriate him and Van Nistelrooy was exactly the same. That Ronaldo would beat players and then beat them again and beat them again, you know, two, three, four, five step overs rather than one step over and deliver. And I think Pepe needs a bit of that in his game where he's a bit more direct, a bit more ruthless. And I think actually learning from Willian could be a really, really good thing for him because Willian is, is efficient. He's experienced, and maybe a bit of that now can can rub off on uh, on Pepe. Yeah, uh, Emmanuel from uh, Cape Town says, uh, to be honest, Pepe also seems to have a shy personality. He doesn't have that Robin mentality. When there is a free kick, you can see the others take the ball off him, which we saw the other night when it was Louise, um, Pepe and William standing over the ball. And my choice for free kicks would have been William, Pepe, Louise, but because Louise is the probably the voice of them. And, and Williams only just joined. Louise said, I'll do this. Whereas they sh- someone should have said to Louise, when was the last time you had a shot on target, you cheeky monkey? Get back. And then uh, one of those two, depending on which side of the um, the goal they want to put it, should have decided who was going to take it. I know he did take one of those two, did take one a little bit later. And I think it went bottom left-hand corner and, and the goalie palmed it away. But he does seem a bloke that is so lacking in confidence. But... Me and uh, Nick did the live show after the game, and I said to him, "How much would you think that um, if we'd have? How much would you have paid for Pepe to be happy with him at this moment?" He said thirty million. I said about twenty million. Josh, what do you reckon? For, for yeah. I know you already someone one of you already covered it, but after the season he had on the way getting to you know Leo and the teams that were in for him, because Barcelona were interested. I think it's a 35, 40 million, maybe. But again, we don't know the size. Well, Simon might know exactly how that 72 million is built up on whether or not, you know, 10 million of that is a Ballon d'Or clause, uh, which we might never get paid. We never Uh, get all the details, do we? No, absolutely. Uh, So it might be lower, it might be higher. uh, Who knows? But yeah, in terms of something that I'd be fairly comfortable if we'd paid for him, because I think at the time it was a coup that we got him as well which seems surprising now when you see, uh, you know, what he was doing, what he's doing for us now. I'm scarred by, by um, Theo, Theo Walcott in the, in the 10 years that we more or less wasted with him. I mean, I'm being a little bit harsh on the lady. He's got a lot of goals for well, us. Theo was 14 million, wasn't he? Or yeah. something like that. If we'd, yeah. we'd lose that back in the sofa exactly. now, I wouldn't care. Exactly, yeah. So, but I don't want to go through all that where, you know, you keep on trying and trying and trying. And I don't think Mikel's going to do that. I think he'll give him a right good go at it. Then if not, he'll just, you know, I think he'll let him go and he'll, he'll replace him. But, you know, like Simon was saying, if he could just be a little bit more more direct. And Willian, it's a great point. Because Willian is, if there's one player that's always direct is Willian. You know, you've all, you know, you've, you know all them Chelsea games where you just see him running through on his own, you know. So uh, hopefully he'll learn, he'll learn a lesson from it. 
on a, on a more uplifting point, um, what have we made of uh, Gabrielle's Gabrielle's start? Because if if we think we've overpaid for um, for Pepe, which we probably have, we've given Lille too much money. I think we've probably made a bit of it back with Gabrielle. Um, it's twenty four million. Yeah, yeah, and, and I think I mean I know he was. There was a lot of links around him in the summer with a lot of clubs, partly because his agent was quite happy to tout him round to, to any club who was interested in sniffing in him. But I mean, there was a proper, you know, certainly United, Napoli, PSG a bit, we're all, we're all in for him. And as has been the case with a lot of transfers this summer, Edu and Arteta played a key role in, in convincing him that, that Arsenal was the right club to come to. But I mean, I can't remember the last time Arsenal had that physically a dominating centre-back um, and come in and perform so quickly. You know, it reminds me a bit of when, when Colo Torre sort of burst on the scene and this guy, you know, just so, so strong and so powerful. And then that first game, I remember the Fulham game this season and admittedly that, you know, playing against uh, Kamara is not the greatest litmus test for how good a centre-back you're going to be. But he absolutely bullied him one-on-one and it was a bit like, oh, hang on a minute, this is, you know, this is quite rare. We've seen Arsenal set about doing that. And I, and I think for me, that Carabao Cup game at Liverpool, I thought was one of his best performances. I thought he was fantastic. Again, at City this weekend, I thought he was really good. Sheffield United, fantastic. And, and my favourite thing about him is every single sort of set piece, um, you know, free kick, anything like corners, he seems to win just every one of them. And I, I think it is part of the thing that uh, George and the new set piece guys got where where Gabriel is basically free and it's like, right, you guys mark up and just let him go and win the ball with the header. And he seems to, nine times out of the ten, he's the guy being that dominating voice. And I'm just being completely blown away by how good he is. He's played five Premier League games and I think he's fantastic. I don't know what you guys think, but for me, that is the best piece of business we'll do all summer. I'm, uh, I'm again, it's another position that I'm very, very guarded on because I can just remember... Other centre-backs having a good start, like Johan Juru, uh, even Mustafi when he came in, had a good maybe six months holding. We thought he was the bargain of the century. And even Callum Chambers. So, you know, it's just hope that he's not in that honeymoon period that the previous ones have been through. And, you know, he drops a ball and, you know, make, makes a mess of it. But, you know, again, I've mentioned this before, especially in that position, a vital position, they're all going to make mistakes. But it's how you deal with the mistake and how you, you know, if you drop a clanger, some some people, it just ruins them and they can't come back from it. He looks really, really strong, strong mentally. Uh, he, he, again, he's good on the ball, he's tidy, he's that left-footed uh, centre-back option that, that I think it's you. It's you got. You need it, you know, for for the angles and everything else. So I'm hoping he he turns into a good player. If he carries on the way he is, I think he'll be a bargain. Yeah, I think another player that you list in, you know, centre backs. I think he kind of reminds me of Gabriel Thomas Vermaelen as well. Left foot, spot on. He's got all of those kind of things. What kind of impact he made? He scored two goals in his first ten games as Mm. well. I think it's one of those super composed on the ball. Again, he was another player that was completely dominant next to a bit of a shaky... uh, Fuck's sake, Danny. You've done it again. Um, Like a shaky centre-back partner, uh, because I think he came in next to Koscielny from the rightly. And yeah, we've got him next to uh, 
Gab, uh, not Gabrielle, uh, next to David Louise, who I think we all think is a bit shaky. I'm trying to avoid it now. I'm trying to avoid it, Danny. But you do excellently to distract me. Um, yeah. A child. He is a child, but he knows how to get me. I think Gabrielle as well. I think I, I think the thing that I'm, I'm, I'm probably getting slightly carried away about, about excitement, but the thing I do like is the price tag as well. I mean, if you look at what centre-backs go for these days, I mean, City paid £45 million for Ake, and, you know, Gabrielle was £25 million. Um, It's amazing. You know, so I think in that climate, I think it is a really good piece of business. Um, I, I agree with you guys where we just need to be wary of, of, of not putting too much pressure on it, but I think he's made a great start. And, and it's an interesting one as well because... Um, he costs less than what we pay for William Saliba, who was twenty-eight million pounds. We still haven't seen seen play play for us yet. And I don't know. I mean, Jeff, you you all over the years have seen you know, players struggle to set us up. I mean, should we be should we be panicking that he hasn't played, or do we need to cut him some slack because he's a nineteen-year-old kid who's living in England? His mum has passed away. He's obviously going through a lot in his life, and maybe we just need to to be patient. It's, it's it's a big turnover, isn't it? Coming coming from the the French league and being being so young uh, into London, um, and like I was saying a little while ago, with regard to how if, if he does make a ricket, how is he gonna how is he gonna cope with with uh, you know recovering from that? Mm. You know, if he's got if he's got too much on his plate already, listen, it's plenty of time with him. There's obviously a player there because uh, I mean I've not seen too much of him. Josh, no doubt has he can tell you a lot more about it than me. But there's obviously a player there. There's a lot of clubs interested in him uh, beforehand, and he's highly rated. Let's just take our time with him. We're not in no hurry. I know, you know, it, it was only it was maybe this time last year that we was. Uh, all, all waiting, you know, ho- hoping that we could get him in by Christmas uh, to uh, help our defensive problems at the time. Well, it just shows you the reason why. Maybe he wasn't, he, he was injured at the time, no doubt. But, it, uh, you know, we was just looking for that. He was going to be our saviour, even, the, you know, the start of this season. Shows you if they're not ready, they're not ready. And we just got to run with it. And, and hopefully, uh, it'll. I don't know, I think we've got to keep him now, haven't we? So it'll be a join the, the the t- under 23s and stuff like that that'd be good grounding for him it won't hurt him yeah I think there's a huge thing that we've also not missing necessarily but just outside of the game for Saliba as well the fact he lost his mum and I think doing losing your mum at the age of 19 I think of at any age losing your mother is a huge thing but at that age when you're not even in the country as well when it happens during a global pandemic that's got to be difficult for anybody. And I think, I think we just got to take our time. Yeah, fine. It's, we've spent a lot of money on him, but there's one of the big things about Arsenal is we are bigger than just football. And I think looking after the player is the top priority. And if that means he's going to spend a season in the under 23s just to get his head right, then that's so be it. And he's still in the Premier League squad as well because, fortunately, he's 19. He doesn't count towards the squad places. I think the only reason he's missing from the Europa League is because he hasn't been with us. I think he might have been out for a season. 
I think we needed him to be with us for two seasons to name him on the B list. Um, and then otherwise, we could have picked him. We could have played him in that as well. But if we were also looking to potentially let him out on loan, it's a spot wasted in the Europa League. But there's plenty of opportunities this season to get decent fixtures and decent appearances for him. Uh, I think we're still playing in even the Checker Trade Trophy as well, where we've seen the like of Aziz show his stuff. And that's, you know, against proper League One, League Two sides, he'll get a proper grounding in English football if he uh, plays a couple of those fixtures, even towards like the finals and stuff like that. So as I say, and as Jeff said as well, which I think is another really pertinent point, is when young defenders make mistakes, if it's for Arsenal, it's going to be a high-profile mistake. It's how they cope with that as well. And if we don't need to put him in the situation where he's not the strongest at the moment to be coping with mistakes in high-profile situations, then there's no point doing it. We've got the likes of Holding, Chambers is coming back, Mustafi is available, David Luiz is there as well. We've got plenty of cover at right centre-back. We can just ease him back in when he's ready. And I think that's the only thing we should be looking at. Trying to force him back in would just not be the right way of doing things. I think I think that, that point Jeff made there about, you know, making an error and, and you reinforce it, Josh, I think is absolutely spot on because you can you, you can you can you can kill it. You're not gonna make a career in one or two games as a nineteen year old, but you, as a nineteen year old centre back you can really you know, you can knock a career back a good few months by having an absolute ricket of a game. And, and I think it is very different to if this was, you know, an 18, 19-year-old forward, a bit like Martinelli was last season, you know, where he came in, suddenly was great in pre-season, maybe learned about actually, you know, just, you could, and when they're a forward like that, you can throw them in because, you know, go and make something happen, go and change the game. But when you're playing centre-back, for a team like Arsenal, I mean, the scrutiny on that is absolutely huge. And there's, you know, probably can count on one hand the number of teenage centre-backs Arsenal have had who regular centre-backs, even in the Premier League, you look throughout the Premier League, and there's very few. I mean, I can remember maybe the likes of Phil Jones and Chris Smalling starting as teenagers for sort of Premier League teams, and, and look how that's turned out. So I think really it was a difficult decision from Arsenal to do, and, and I would wonder sometimes, thinking about it, would someone like Wenger have perhaps just played him and said, you know, you're a young kid, go and play. But I think Arsenal have taken the brave decision um, by not playing it, by not registering him for the Europa League. And they could have easily loaned him out. There's plenty of championship clubs who are interested in doing it, but they wanted to make sure it was the right move and the right place. And in the end, I think they've decided, look, be here, get used to the environment, and there is no rush. I mean, we've got so many centre-backs, we haven't even registered to Kratis. So um, I think it was a brave thing to do, given the pressure from fans and the hype, we're all excited, but just to say, look, let's calm down and let's take our time. And as you say, in the long run, I think it, it could prove to be a very wise move. I think we should uh, move on from that and talk about the Wenger book. Jeff, you you went you went to meet Wenger, didn't you? He asked you along and you, you wanted some of your advice <laughs> and you went and met him. So what, what, what did you do and, and how did it go? No, London Palladium, wasn't it, a couple of weeks ago? A cold, I think it was a Tuesday night, I can't remember. Mine might have been a Monday night. Um, it's a cold, rainy uh, Monday evening. Uh, not it was social distancing there, but it was like it seemed like it was full up. I was really surprised when I walked into the th- walked into the theatre, uh, and I think every 
third and fourth seat or something was was obviously vacant but it looked it looks it was it was very busy in there and i didn't expect to see how busy it was but it worked uh, everyone everyone behaved themselves apart from all the singing and stuff like that there was a great the, the applause and the the singing that the, uh, when he, when he came on the stage was unbelievable um and you know Wenger is just a, you know he's just awesome Wenger isn't he? Uh, I just think he's a he's a great gentleman. Uh, I think he's a great gentleman in and out of sport, you know, in and out of the game of football. But uh, he just spoke about the Arsenal. He, he loves the Arsenal. There's no doubt about it. He's a, he's as much an Arsenal fan as any of us over the over the twenty odd years that he's been here. And it was just a great. I mean, he's done fifty. Like like Simon said, he might have done fifty interviews out of it. So everyone knows he just went through the same stuff more or less uh, live. Uh, it was a good night. It was a really good night, and I just thought that I couldn't miss it. It was one of those moments where I wanted to be there. His first proper interview live in front of an audience full of Arsenal fans. It was a really really good night, and I'm I'm so pleased I went there. As uh, I know, Chris isn't much of a reader like I'm not, and he's listened to the audio book. Uh, Josh, what have you done? Read the book or listened to the book or just coloured uh, it in like I, I did? Lis- I listened to it. I think Chris is actually reading it. Um, I think that's no. how he's learning how to read. Ah. Um, because he's he stepped up from the hungry caterpillar and he's gone straight to uh, Wenger's autobiography. But yeah, no, I listened to it um, whilst working. And, um. I mean, I'm not. I wasn't expecting something where he was going to kind of reveal all, which is why felt, I'm not interested. Yeah, but I still felt disappointed that there wasn't many nuggets of information in there. Um, I think there were some pointed things, and you might be able to read things between the lines of how he was feeling, especially towards the uh, end game or end days of his time at Arsenal. I think where he's saying certain people on the board weren't necessarily um, on board with what he was doing. Uh, I don't know who it is pointed at, but there seems to be something pointed in there. Um, But otherwise, it was, yeah, I think it was interesting from those people who are interested about Arsene Wenger rather than the salacious rumours around Arsenal Football Club. Um, I'm... I'm, I'm actually sorry, Simon. I'm, I'm actually still uh, listening. I'm about a third of the way through the the audio book, uh, and I don't know because I've not, I've not obviously I haven't got a copy of the actual book. But I think it would be better to to, to read it than um, listen to the audio book because he's not very good, uh, you know, narrating it. It just doesn't sound right. It's, it's just, it's not, it's not, it's not flowing and it doesn't, he doesn't really reveal too much, which I'm disappointed about as well. And you know me, I, I love Arsene Wenger, but, uh, I was for, even from what I've heard about the book, I, I'm a little bit disappointed with it as well. I think everyone thought it, like you said, Josh, I thought there'd have been a few little nuggets in there that we'd get our teeth into and, you know, have a, have a little fight about over the course of the time. But there's nothing in there really, nothing that we don't already know, you know. Uh, that's a little bit disappointing, but, you know, I, I, I think everyone should go and buy it anyway to give the old fella a few quid. Not that he needs it. <laughs> no, I say, I think, uh, I think the his own Arsenal podcast, when he with the amount of times he's been on, and now he's a fan. 
I think the number of times he said in press conferences, though, oh, I'll put it in my book, or when he didn't want to talk about something. And, and uh, I think I think he has, you know, he, he did generally write this book himself. Uh, he wrote this, and I think he has. Uh, he's, I think he's missed have, having it ghost written with a journalist who yeah. would have nagged and pushed for that bit more detail to be like, no, no, I need a bit more on this. Tell me a bit more about this. I think when he's writing it himself, he's probably quite naturally, you know, hasn't gone into as much detail as he would because you don't when you're telling a story as much. You need someone questioning you and saying, oh, you know, and I actually yeah. think the best the best thing has been the interviews he's done around the book, you know, when mm. he's spoken and, and he did a great one in The Guardian today with Donald McRae, who's probably one of the best journalists for interviewing people. Um, but I think he just missed having someone writing the book with him and nagging for a bit more detail because it's good, but it's not got the real insight that we wanted from, from a book like this. Ornstein had a good interview with him. I don't know whether you caught up with that. Ornstein, yeah. he, he was the one, he, you know, he went a little bit nearer the bone than, than most of the other guys had. But you know what, to be honest with you, I, I think, well, I did anyway. I knew that, I knew that Arson wasn't going to be the person to throw people under the bus willy-nilly. He's not a Mourinho. He's got a little bit more class than that. Um, but because of that, we were still all expecting it, and it never really happened, did it? So it's a bit disappointing. To not, to, to not, to not even mention Mourinho once in the entire book I is know. amazing. That's brilliant. I love it. Not to give him the airspace. Not even to anything at all, but... That's the thing, that it's more about the notable absentees that seem to have come out of it. The fact he doesn't mention Mourinho. He also never mentions Unai Emery either. Does mention Mikel Arteta, but not Unai. And that, I don't know about that one, whether or not it's too raw. Uh, it does sound like he had very much a, a huge breakaway from Arsenal and yeah. probably didn't even watch us under Emery at that point as it was just... Too- him. Actually, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I mean- Publishers have been wanting him to get to him to write a book for mm. years and years, and he was offered. I mean, before certainly before he left Arsenal, he was being offered sort of you know near seven figure sums to, to do a book, and he's taken his time to do it, and he's obviously done it in the way he wanted with him writing it. Fair play to him, and I'm sure it will, it will sell immensely well. Um, but I think if you read the Fergie books, which he was ghostwritten with Paul Hayward, who's a tele, uh, journalist of the Daily Telegraph and contrast this with Wenger, I think you'll see. I just think, I think, I think someone could have prized a bit more out of Arsene. Um, yeah. And we could have got the, could have got the juicy stuff we wanted, but it was Wenger being Wenger, being classy and, you know, not, mm. not throwing barbs like that. And he, he was like, wasn't he Wenger? He, that wasn't his style to go and knife someone, was it? So it's probably what we should expect from Arsene. Yeah. And as you say, I think it was in the interviews for the book, is where you got more information because you had those people putting him on the spot. Another one I'd say is the one with uh, Totally Football with James Richardson, uh, Julian Laurent, and I can't think who the third one was. It might have been James Hawcastle. Uh, I can't remember though. And I thought that was a really interesting one because again, they were pushing him on the questions that we wanted answers to. Like, why did you take Perez off in the Champions League final? You know, you had that thing. I think Cyrus was trying to say that if he'd had a ghostwriter, they would have pushed him on that and said, go into this because that's the interesting story. In- I think the thing with Arsenal, with Arsenal as well is you could listen to him talk about anything, I think. You know, I, I don't know if you guys saw him on Graham Norton, but, mm. you know, he's brilliant on that. And he's, 
and you could he could write a book just about his ideas for football and how the you know the history of the game. He's I find him so interesting to listen to. Um, and I thought on Graham Norton, I thought he was fantastic. You know, with Dawn, you know, chewing the fat with Dawn French and Freddie Flintoff. I thought he was brilliant, and it did it did make me miss him a bit. I do I do think there are few people as interesting to listen to as, as Arsene Wenger. And I'm jealous of Jeff going the other night because I know he would have been Wenger would have been great on stage there and, and given the fans a good um, a good good value for money. Right, um, we've got. 11 minutes left and then we'll, then we'll have done an hour and a half Josh how long do you reckon it would take you to do the questions and have we got time to have a quick chat about Ozil before you do the questions let's have a quick chat about Ozil before Go we on, do then. the questions because I think it's what the people would want and I think it's yeah. one of the questions anyway um, from Luca who says are you sick of the Mesut Ozil debate well buckle up Luca because you're getting five minutes at least <laughs> on Mesut Ozil uh, and I think I suppose we should also includes Socrates in this as well because they have both been excluded from both squads as well um, but yeah Sai do you want to come in first on the Meza Ozil thing and do you have um, I think one of the big things is the timeline of events that seems to have been conflated with what's happened when with Meza that's led to this decision where he's not made either squad <laughs> Yeah, um, I mean, it's an interesting one with those. So, I mean, obviously, he played all the games up until March, didn't he? Um, and then since the restart, we've not seen him at all. Um, he has publicly and privately stated he's not going anywhere. Um, he wants to get back in the team. Um, and I think there's been a lot of you know, speculation, rumours going around at, at why he's not in the team. Is it because he wouldn't take a pay cut? Um I kind of feel, I feel it. I feel for me. I, I do believe. I think Arteta and Edu that it is it is footballing reasons. I know he was playing before then. But I just look at the team now and the way it operates, and I don't see how Özil fits into it. Partly from a formation viewpoint of a three-four-three, but also I just think the way it works. And Inveiga touched on a bit in one of his interviews, saying, you know, "I don't know if he's sort of that sort of player's gone from the from the modern era." Um, and in terms of the time of events, well, the options of getting him rid of him this summer were pretty limited. There were only sort of two concrete interests, and that was some clubs in Qatar and Saudi Arabia. Other than that, there wasn't any genuine interest. Ozil wasn't interested in going to either Qatar or Saudi Arabia, so that was off the table. And then um, Edu explained when he did, he did into the club the other week that both players were sat down face-to-face and told look, you're not going to be in either of these squads. And when it came out that they weren't in the Europa squad, uh, it was pretty clear then that they weren't going to be in the Premier League squad. It wasn't going to be a case of, look, you're in one. You guys miss out. Two players miss out on one and two players miss out on the other. No, it was, it was always going to be two players missing out of both squads. Um, and the decision was made there. And now they're both going to have to wait until January. They're lucky it's only a short, short break until the next window. I think it's 10 weeks until that window opens. I think Socrates, out of the two, is more likely to get a move. I would, I'm pretty sure he would get one in January. I think he was close to getting one in the summer. Uh, and Ozil, I can't see how you shift him, to be honest. I think the only dream scenario is you get he From January, he can talk to clubs um, and get a pre-contract agreement with a foreign club. And I think the only one you can hope is say, oh, look, you know, you've agreed that. 
you could come to some sort of agreement where he moves to that club early, but it really doesn't feel like he has any intention to leave before his contract ends. And perhaps rightfully so, because that's what the club agreed to pay him. So it's a difficult situation. It's got really messy. And I think, I don't know, the fans might think the same as the club and think now that Urs was out of the squad, do we stop talking about it? Well, the question is, Simon, will you be mentioning it in any press conferences? <laughs> I, I don't think so. I think, I mean, uh, there, that, there was a lot of heat, wasn't there, after that Leicester game, which I wasn't actually at. Um, and I think legitimately so. I think Arteta was pushed on that. Maybe he was, perhaps he was pushed too much. But I think when Ozil wasn't in that Carabao Cup squad, I think that was the alarm bells when it was like, OK, right, he's not even in, you know, he's not in that squad at all. That is it. If he's not playing in the fourth-rate competition, then he's got to be going. And, and I don't think since then Ozil's really come up. I think he's maybe came up in the press conference before this squad was going to be announced. And I think he'll probably come up this week. And then I think after that, I can't see how you bring him up anymore because he's not part of the group. Simple as that. So Arsenal probably will get their way for that. But we've seen the PR war has rumbled on with the whole Gunnosaurus and all that. And I don't know. I think it's just really messy situation. And, and um, one that I think for all parties needs to be put to bed. Yeah, Jeff, what are your thoughts on the Meza Ozil and Socrates situations? Uh, it's just, it's, it's a shit show, isn't it, mate? Really, it's just, it's a, it's very, it's tainted his his, his Arsenal career. Uh, now, listen, I don't know, and we don't really know what's gone on. Uh, there's a lot of politics, maybe, that's occurred, but I do honestly. In my opinion, I do think that if Meza, if um, if Arteta wanted to play him, it would be in the team. I don't think he, he suits what Arteta is doing at the moment. Uh, I mean, I've said it many, many times over the course of the years that he's been at Arsenal. If we haven't got the ball, and if he's not, if he's not on the ball, he's just he's really a, basically a passenger. He doesn't really, if he's not affecting the game, it's like playing with 10 men. And I know people throw stats at me and he covers a lot of ground, etc. But you listen, we can all run around like a chicken with no head. It, but it's the positions you put yourself in. And when you get yourself put in them positions defensively, do you put your foot in? You know, he's not the type of player that would scare you if you was attacking him, you understand me? If you, if he was defending against you one against one, I think any player would fancy their chances because I don't think he's, listen, he's not, he's not made that way. He is a creator. He has been a fantastic footballer. He's won the lot, but I do think the game has now passed him by. Um, he's, he's the, he's the wrong side of 30. And what disappoints me the most is he's got plenty of money, Right. And it's not his fault that Arsenal said they was going to pay him 300 or 350 or whatever it is with appearances and stuff like that. We offered him the contract. He signed it. He's entitled to the money, right? We'd most probably give him the money anyway to go and play somewhere else. That's what grates me. And I think at the end of the day, once it's over, I'm not sure he's going to come back from it. 
and play at the same level again in in an elite level like the Premier League or a top level of the Spanish League or wherever because this year out, this age in his life, it's not going to do him any good. And I'm disappointed that he never took some money or took a little bit less or just had an agreement with, with, with somebody somewhere where he could go and play a decent quality game of football for someone and, and see his career out because it, it can't be down to the money, no way in the world. No, I, yeah, I don't think it's down to that at all for just money. I think one of the things is he probably enjoys living in London. And I think that's one of the things that we're not... Uh, it's being kind of rather understated. You know, we, we saw him being the victim of, uh, you know, an agem- uh, attempted assault with Kalasinic as well. And it, you would have thought if you were on the receiving end of that and you you would have moved if you weren't then trust trusting of the city and your surroundings. You would look to have moved out pretty swiftly after that. But he stayed. And I can't see another London club coming in for him. I mean, if he really wants to wind Arsenal up and he really hates us, he'll go to Spurs after his contracts run out. That will show you where, if he's being truly like malicious. Um, but I wonder about some of the political things that have been raised as well, that it's because of how he was outspoken uh, from an Arsenal perspective about the uh, issue in China. I can't go into full details because I'm just not an expert on that subject and just do it in injustice. But he made those comments in December 2019. And I think that's something that when I was saying that the timeline's getting conflated, that people were saying he was dropped because of comments then. But he played plenty of games, as the science said, up until March. And maybe, the, you know, as you said, the club didn't back him. I think if Wenger was in the hot seat at that point, he'd have dealt with the situation very differently than Mikel Arteta did. But Arteta was also only a week into his, you know, life as an actual full-blown manager. He wasn't going to be saying anything other than towing a line, you know, a corporate line, just making sure he's doing things that are safe. Because, you know what, he's got quite a lot on his plate just coming into Arsenal in general. And I think that's just one of the big things around it is there seems to be, I think Travis in the chat has put it, perfectly is there's a group of supporters that are Ozil supporters rather than Arsenal supporters and he's almost being kind of disrespectful to uh, Ozil's being disrespectful to his supporters that just want to see him play play games because they know what he can do and yeah the supporters that follow Ozil and not Arsenal um, are the ones that are shouting loudest for sure I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure he could have gone to somewhere like West Ham or something like that and had a good game of football. They play. They played decent football. Ham. Problem with West Ham is they had a, annoyingly they had a sensible transfer window because we had loads of players they could have bought from us. Socrates could have gone there. Mustafi could have gone there. Every other time they would have bought him, but they went stupid and sensible and you know bought a decent midfielder. Got another striker in. Oh, it's was infuriating. Jeff, Jeff, yeah. you compare it, compare, compare it to like Bale and you know Hammers at Real Madrid, who were on huge money, um, yeah. and they both managed to find a way to get out of their clubs and to get playing. And Özil hasn't, from what we know, hasn't 
worked in the same way to be able to get out and find a move. Um, I just think it's a shame for all parties involved because I, 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 like everyone else, can remember, you know, when Urza was signed by Arsenal. I think even it might have been when Jeff might have been one of those who sort of broke the news that we were getting Urza, and and everyone went crazy. All the fans outside the stadium, you know, mobbing the reporters on Sky, and he was brilliant for, for you know, three four years. He was fantastic, and and I do agree now. A bit like Koscielny with how he left to go to Bordeaux and the whole thing where he was filmed, you know, taking off the Arsenal shirt and having the Bordeaux one. I, I do think his legacy has really, really been tainted now, Arsenal. It's a, and it's a shame because he did bring a lot of joy to, to fans at one point. The only thing I'd add to all of this lot, apart from what you've really said, I think this all goes back to his time with Germany. The, uh, the last six games he played for Germany, they lost four. They only beat Saudi Arabia 2-1 and Sweden 2-1. And he had that disastrous 2018 World Cup where we, they lost one nil to Mexico, beat Sweden, lost two nil to South Korea. That was his last game for for Germany. And then so then they had all the falling out with Germany. And then the next season he comes back to Arsenal, and uh, he only gets two assists all season, which is what he's, he got five goals. The season after that, he only got one assist and one goal in the Premier League. And then I think if you look at it all back and trace it, it's probably going to come back to a lot of things changed in his life. He he, he got married, fell out with uh, some of the Arsenal fans, fell out with Germany. I mean, he's got to feel... You look back in the history of modern German football and he's one of their best players. And then for people to be telling him that he's he's not really German, that he's Turkish and all this other stuff, a hell of a lot of stuff. I mean, we, we think that he's an old wise man. When all that was happening, he was only 28, 29 He's still a young man, and for so much stuff, upheaval to happen in your in your life as a footballer back then. It, like Jeff was saying, it's just such a shame to see it all happen. And I, on, if you follow me on Twitter, I will do anything to wind up the Ozilisters because they're a bunch of morons. I mean, there's one who's got that petition to to get him to uh, to Arsenal to force Arsenal to register him and play him. I mean, that's that's just to the nth degree of how pathetic so many Özil um, fans are. And when he leaves. They'll all fuck off back to supporting Real Madrid, which is going to be nothing but good because, you know, and there's only one person who's lost out out of all of this slot, and that's going to be Ozil. Because if things worked out for him, he could still be running our midfield at the age of 34, 35, because he never relied on pace. Once, I mean, he did when he was at Real Madrid, he's play out wide. But for us, he could control that midfield. He, he wasn't really that massively injury prone, and he could be domineering, doing all that a lot for years to come. So the only person who's really lost out is him, Josh. So, questions? You're muted. I know. Well, it's terrible. Uh, you've gone a bit blurry as well, Danny. But Sorry. It's all right. But yes. Um, yeah. And I say thank you, Luca, for your question on are you sick of the Mesut Ozil debate? Uh, I think. The... So we did 10 minutes on one question. Exactly. <laughs> so I think for that, I'm sure the chat box will tell us if people are sick of the Mesut Ozil debate. Uh, but as Simon has said, he's never going to ask a question ever again about Mesut Ozil in a press conference. And therefore, there'll never be a story about it ever again. Never, ever. <laughs> famous last words, sir. And I agree with me. I think when his contract is up with Arsenal, he'll retire. I see you yeah. agree to that too, Josh. Yeah, I think he will. Well, let's speed through these questions. Simon's yes. going to have Mrs. Collings kicking him in the bum if he doesn't go to bed soon. Exactly. Uh, first question, we will go to aforementioned Simon Collings. Uh, let's go for uh, the one from Jackasaurus TV from our Twitch um, so if you could nuke one club out of existence, who would it be? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, 
I mean, the obvious answer would be uh, would be Tottenham, but I absolutely love the North London derby and the rivalry with Spurs. I don't think it could be them. And their videos when they're three 0 up. Oh, you know, this is this this amazing surge in fans filming themselves watching matches, probably because of COVID nineteen. But oh god, they were amazing those ones there. And the Lanzini thing made me think of our beloved Steve. God bless him. But when that went in, I did think he'd be sat up there, absolutely roaring with laughter. Um, one club who had new consistent. Um, probably go Stoke. I think just. So many bad memories of going there. It's a pain getting there. We've never had good games there. Um, yeah, go for Stoke, I think. Excellent. Uh, Jeff, question for you. I'm going to go from this one from Melvin Marks from our Twitter. Uh, how long do you think it will take Arteta to have the confidence to play the same 11 week after week? No, uh, I just don't think that's never going to happen, mate, uh, because of the, just so many games that we got. But I, I get what he's saying. Um, yeah, yeah I, I, it's, it's going to be tough for him, isn't it? Because he he's, he's not got what he wants there at the moment. I don't think he he, he think he's, he's he's got what he wants there. So I think it might take a maybe another eighteen months or another three windows. Before you you know you're going to be knocking on the door and thinking, come and mate, you got you got to pull up some trees now because you've got your team, you've had plenty of time to to bed everybody in and and everyone's got how you want to play. Uh, so uh, you know you got to give them a little bit of time. Eighteen months. This week, Josh was um, Klopp's fifth year anniversary as manager of Liverpool, and how long did it take him to make Liverpool good? Three years. For his fifth anniversary, they've decided what to write a petition to uh, get Virgil Van Dijk. Was it? Um, they already decided if he's getting cremated or uh, if he's <laughs> if it's a burial. I'm not sure if that's confirmed yet or not. Um, but yeah, uh, question from uh, let's go Matt L. Roberts, and I'm going to go to Simon on this uh, after previous Hale End players coming and setting at the English leagues and other competitions alight over the last couple of years. Who would be next? Matt's pick is Aziz. Yeah, I do. Um, I do agree. Aziz certainly looks, uh, he looks like the real deal. I think um, particularly from the games I've seen this season or the highlights I've seen the games this season, he looks like the one, I mean, the, the one, um, I would have been excited about is is uh, Balogun, who doesn't sound like he's going to sign a new deal, and I think he's going to leave for free. But from people I, I spoke to at the, at the club, you know, they think he's in terms of level of ability, put him up there with Eddie and Reese and all that lot. Um, just I'm not sure whether I don't know. I'm not sure they, they can't get him agreed to sign a new deal. I think he knows he can probably go play week in week out. Certainly in the championship wouldn't surprise me if he went to Brentford. He would be the one that I would be really excited about. But um, of those who's probably going to stay and play, I think it's easier. It's, it's the standout. Nice. Uh, yeah, I saw a couple of clips of him playing uh, in the Carabao Cup. and he Not Carabao Cup, the other one. Check trade trophy. And he looked very good in that game. Um, where else am I going to go for... Uh, it's my fault for skipping them. Danny, I'm going to go to you for this one. Actually, no, we can all have it. Everybody. Screw it. Uh, 
Danny, you can start though. Question from PG Nez. What would you consider a successful season for Arsenal? Looking at the way all the other teams are, top four. I think if we can make fourth, don't care about the Cups, don't care about all three of them, they can all go to hell, go for that fourth place. Because as much as I hate Champions League football, I as much as I hate European football, I like the leagues, but that fourth place and Arteta and that squad and the confidence and the new breed of uh, everything at Arsenal, I think that fourth place will be two years ahead of schedule. And if we can get that, we will look back. You know those years when we, uh, we barely lost the league to Leicester? And we, we look back at that and go, oh, that was so close. If we don't get fourth place this season, or maybe even third, in the next couple of years when all those other teams have strengthened massively, we'll look back at this season and go, God, that's the year we could have done it. Yeah, uh, Jeff, what did you... What did you, um, you know what? I'd, I'd, I'd go all out for that Europa League this year. We need that. We need a, a European trophy. That gets us into the champion. It does, doesn't it? It qualifies us for the Champions League. That's still still in. Um, I would love. I would love to. I would love to be confident enough to say we get into the top four. But I, I don't know. I really don't know. I still. I still think that. Uh, I would accept. I would accept top six. I want top four, but I think a Europa League or an FA Cup and the top six. I think that would be a successful season for his second full season. Simon, finally. Yeah, um, top four or winning the Europa League would be success. Um, finishing fifth, I think, would be par or be a pass. But yeah, if, if he makes top four or wins the Europa League, I think that's a success. Nice. Um, where are we going to go next? Let's go, Danny. As I think you've seen this question for uh, the longest and may have prepared something for this compared to the other ones, the people. Uh, it's a question from your namesake, Daniel, in our Discord. We've got a Discord, people. Um, it's like WhatsApp for virgins. Um, Arsenal Twitter seems to be talking about their top five Emirates-era players. Uh, screw the positivity. Who are the drizzling shits of the Emirates-era? Who are our worst players? The South Korean, we can't even remember his name. Absolute waste of time and effort. Um, there's going to be... Oh, well, I'm just going to stick with one, that because we haven't got time to list five. I've got a whole more, but yeah, the South Korean, whose name I can't remember, that we bought another dodgy deal, £7 million for Monaco this season. They got relegated. Uh, that was the one that... Uh, was it in Fingers? Park Chu Yang, apparently, according to yeah. formerly Noza. That they didn't believe that the agent was actually it was Arsenal on the phone because he thought it was a wind up that we were interested <laughs> in it. Um anyway, I'm sure that was in his book or I've read it somewhere. Who knows? People can just write things in front of me and I'm I'm like um I nearly said Ron Jeremy. That's not who I mean. Ron Burgundy. It's a very different person there. I see uh, Simon's eyes have lit up. <laughs> well eyebrows are raised on those two. Getting the wrong way around. Yeah, just put anything on there and I'll read it. Get on with it. Okay. Um, let's go from Phil Macker in the YouTube. Uh, Simon, could we just clone Saka and play Saka version two down the right-hand side? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, that would be ideal, wouldn't it? Um, I think the, uh, the interesting with, with Saka, just, just tag on to this, is where we think he's going to end up playing. Um 
I don't know what you guys quickly think, where, what position you think his best role will be. But but for me, I, I liked how we finished the Sheffield United game, which was Aubameyang as the nine, Willian as the 10, Saka left wing and Pepe right wing. I think that's Saka's best position personally. I think left wing is, is where we'll see him long term. Yeah, I really liked that setup that we had there with him and Willian interchanging as well in the midfield. I think that was perfect for his development. Uh, I'll go finally, because Danny said I've been going on for too long. Um, and we also covered Meza Ozil. Sorry, Luca. Uh, Jeff, final question for you from Alfredo from the Twitter. Is there a reason Arteta does not want to deploy Bamiang through the middle? Mm. Well, you know what? He's, he, he's been so effective on that left-hand side with, with scoring the goals and making the runs from out to in that I think he's, he's, it's very difficult now to dislodge him from that. Um, he's been quite disappointed in the last few games, hasn't he? Since he signed his contract, funny enough. But um, no, nah, he's still got plenty of time. I, I, I do prefer him out there. Uh, he played a lot out there for, for Dortmund, didn't he? I remember him. Um, and again, he maybe you, you then try, you can fit Lacazette in there as well. And I think that's maybe what he's been trying to do to, to fit all of them in together, him, Pepe and uh, Lacazette. So um, maybe that's the reason why I think, to be honest with you. We may be forgotten, but we, if you do remember when we had our one good season under Emery, that we actually had a Bamiang Lacazette in a front two. We played that sort of three, four, one, two. Do you remember Ramsey played as the ten of those two? And I think that actually got the best out of both of them. But I don't think we'll ever see that again. But that was, I think that was the that was when we got the best of Bamiang through the middle and the best of Lacazette. But I don't think we'll ever have them as a front two again. No, I think because we've got Pepe uh, as a as a winger, I think he's the one that kind of means that we're going to be playing a front three. Anyway, Danny, uh, I will pass back over to you. Cheers, Matchley. Right, a little bit of housekeeping before we go. Thank you very much to Unique79 for your donation. Thank you very much to our YouTube members who uh, have paid as little as 99p or a little bit more. And uh, they get not much for it apart from they're going to go on our website in the ABW Executive Toilet. That's where your names are going to go. Nicky Wilson, Nick Wilson. God, he changed his name. J-Rob, Bill Butler, Yimmy Fash, our very own Corey, Michael Harneyman, and Mike Hertz, who a couple of them are in the chat at the moment. And also uh, thanks to a couple of new Twitch people that have subbed, Berg Gunner and Clancy FFS. So I think that last one sounds like the kind of person that um, Nick might know. Right. Uh, thank you very much to everybody in the chat. You have all been brilliant. Thank you very much to Travis, who has been keeping me busy. I did a one-hour and one-bit-hour uh, Twitch-only show building up to this, where it's just me sitting there falling asleep and Travis keeping me busy. And also Michael in Sweden was there. So also uh, thank you very much to Simon. You tonight have been spectacular, darling. Thank you very much for having me. It's been great being on. So sorry to Mrs. Quiff for us. I will, and I, say, and I apologise for my Windows 7 laptop. I'm hoping to get Windows 8 next time. So. Well, tell you what, that's not worth tuning in for. I don't know what is. Thank you, Josh, for doing the questions and just generally being entertaining, Josh, and not too jar- dark and definitely no mystic, Josh. Yeah, no, I, I can't predict anything anymore now. It's still like no. that window. That's it. Good. Awful. And, and Jeff? 
Uh, we yes. all saw Jeff before the show started. He's a, he's a lovely looking gentleman. And we're now we're both in our 50s. We had a good old chat about the good old days, didn't we, Jeff? We did indeed, Daniel. We did indeed. <laughs> been... That feels like my 750th performance for the, for the ABW tonight, the Binners here. Oh, dear. Been, you're not... been a while. You're not far off. You started doing podcasts for me in 2012, mm. and next year is 2021. Oh, you've gone grey, and I've gone greyer, Dano. <laughs> oh, it's great. And you're on next week with me and Raj, and you never know, we might be at a, a Winkle FK to come on with us as well. That would be great. Well, he might be able to sell his YouTube channel, so why not get him on? Uh, top secret stuff right thank you to everybody in the chat everybody on facebook everybody on twitch everybody in our discord everybody in all the places that we put our stink thank you for watching this has been a bird cat wonderland we will see you on thursday after the show it's either going to be josh and me or josh and possibly ellis we're not sure yet looking at josh's face that's news to him and we will be back on sunday hopefully the John Welsh is going to have himself a wash, give himself a good scrub, and he might be on the show with me. So you never know. We will see you all later. Thank you very much. Goodbye.